0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, Pine64 announces the pre-orders for the Pine phone are almost here. AMD announces their latest Threadripper and Ryzen 9 CPUs. We've got the results from the OpenSUSE name change vote. And in distro news, Ubuntu pledges support for Raspberry Pis. Elementary OS adds support for Flatpaks. And we've got new releases from KOS and Chrome OS. Microsoft has confirmed that their Edge browser is coming to Linux. Linus Torvalds had an interview recently where he declared that he's no longer a programmer, and we'll take a closer look at that. In Linux gaming news, Steam releases beta support for containers in Steam for Linux. Google reveals Stadia launch games and further information on the service. We also got some really interesting news from Valve where they might launch their own Stadia competitor called Steam Cloud Gaming. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get access to this, plus their world class customer support, for as low as $5 per month. And we actually use it for the Destination Linux uh, network in many aspects. Uh, the the Mumble server, for example, you should definitely check it out. Go to DestinationLinux.network slash Mumble. You can join a live voice chat with a variety of people, including myself to, uh, you know, talk about anything, Linux or whatever you want. Uh, even, you know, today we had conversations about Star Wars and Star Trek, so that was fun. Uh, so anyway, yeah, you could join that by going to slash mumble, and that is powered by DigitalOcean, as well as the destinationlinux.network forum is also powered by DigitalOcean. So DigitalOcean is not only just a sponsor of, of, of the Destination Linux and the This Week in Linux uh, podcast, it's also a very... Uh, awesome vital uh, service that we use to facilitate a lot of the things that we're doing with the community and the network. So anyway, uh, DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software languages and frameworks. And I've also used their tutorials quite a few times because they come in handy a lot. And one of the best things about their tutorials is that when you Uh, Go to a tutorial that is old. It will actually have a notice saying that it might be out of date. But if they have a newer version of that tutorial, because the previous version was like good for search, uh, it was like uh, got popular on search engines, so it was you can easily find it. If they have a newer version of that, when you go to it, it will have a link directly to that new version. So that is awesome. They actually take consideration of not just promoting old information. They're actually trying to keep up to date as much as possible, which is awesome. And you can get started on DigitalOcean for free for one month with a $50 credit by going to do.co/tux. That's do.co/tux. So you can get started again for that with that $50 credit by going to do.co/tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in Linux. A first in the show this week, Pine64 has announced that the PinePhone pre-orders will be available soon. And how soon? Just a couple of days. And that be uh, November fifteenth for those that are interested for the, for the product. Uh, so the Pine Book, Pine sixty four makes a lot of different products. They make the system on a chip boards like the Pine sixty four, the Rock sixty four, and etc. And they've been recently making uh, hardware for various different products. So they've been making the Pine Book and now the Pine Book Pro, and then now the Pine Phone, as well as some more like the Pine Tab and etc. So. First of all, the Pinebook Pro laptops are now shipping, so if you have pre-ordered one, you should be getting yours soon. If not, you can try out the, I think they're currently on pre-order now, so if you want to get the next batch, be sure to go do that. I think they're still available right now, I'm not 100% sure on that one, but I think they still are. Uh, but if you want to check out the specs, of, we've actually talked about the, Pine, the Pinebook Pros on previous episodes of This Week in Linux. But uh, also, you can check out the unboxing and demo video of the Pinebook Pro made by Ryan, a.k.a. DosGeek of Destination Linux. He did a... And you're not aware, he's also a raw hardware guy. So not only did he just demo with the, the, and do an unboxing, he also took it apart to show the hardware inside that is used. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, uh, check out his video. I'll have that linked in the show notes. So also... The PinePhone is something that I've been waiting for, and I am so looking forward to. Uh, Pine64 isn't done yet because they're making waves with this PinePhone announcement, and they say that they will be taking pre-orders for the Braveheart edition of the PinePhone, as I said, on November 15th. And if you're lucky enough to get on the list for the the pre-orders, you will start receiving your phone between December 2019 and January 2020. We don't have a full range of shipping yet, but that's the rough area of when they're going to do it. Uh, they also said that their mass production of the phone will begin directly after the Chinese New Year on March 2020. In March 2020, the Braveheart edition will also not be an incomplete or developer edition of the of the phone. It will be a completed hardware phone, and it will be it will it will be different because it is an early adopter thing. But it's not going to be like an incomplete device. So they say the team reassures everyone on their blog post that they have carried out extensive testing. And all known hardware and software issues have been addressed. They, however, are stating that it is called the Braveheart Edition for a reason. And the reason is that they, even though that no matter how much testing they could, they could do, there's probably going to be some bugs and some tweaks that need to be made uh, before the burst adopters. That's just how it is for products that are brand new and haven't been made before by a company that are just getting into this product uh, product line. So it's understandable that they would have to do that kind of thing. Uh, But also one of the things that makes it a Braveheart edition is that it will not be coming with an operating system. You'll have to flash it yourself. So the early adopters are expected to install these, be able to install the operating system themselves, which is not going to be that difficult, especially if you use Ubuntu Touch. They have a pretty simple way to install it uh, through their uh, Ubuntu Touch installer software. So there's that. And there's also other operating systems that you can use for the pine phone uh, if you want to try those out too uh, but so I can't wait to check it out because I definitely will be getting if I can get on the list of course I'll be getting the Braveheart because I am super excited and I don't want to wait for the new the the you know the one in March so anyway they've also made available the schematics for the phone so you can get a look at an idea of how the entire device operates which is very very nice so they're like they're open and like as much as they possibly can with not only the transparency of how they're doing everything, but also like the hardware that they can, that the schematics, the software that they're going to be using, and all that stuff. It's not a fully open source hardware phone because it's not really possible due to like regulations and certifications that are required and all this other stuff. But it is a really cool device, and I can't wait. So I'm going to get to give you a little bit of the specs that's going to be on this phone if you're interested. If you're not, feel free to jump to the next piece where I talk about the Pine tab. But if you're interested in the Pine phone, it's going to have an all-winner A64 quad-core system on a chip with Mali 400 GPU. It's going to have 2 gigs of RAM that are LPDDR3 RAM. It's going to have a LCD screen that has resolution of 1440 by 720 with an 18 by 9 aspect ratio and a 5.9-inch screen. It'll be have a, it'll have a bootable micro SD slot as well, and 16 gigs of uh, eMMC on storage or on board storage. It will have a HD of digital video out support. It will ha- it has going to have a USB Type C uh, connector, which is ridiculous for like that's a really it's really nice to see that they're having like modern hardware c- connecting points uh, because that that USB Type C makes it possible to have power, data, and video through uh, the, that particular port. Uh, they also going to have uh, 802.11 b/g/n uh, Wi-Fi, as well as 4.0 Bluetooth, uh, GPS, GPSA, and GLONASS for the uh you know GPS satellite stuff. Uh, they're also going to have a RGB a status LED that you can have for customization depending on the operating system potentially. It's going to have a selfie and a main camera. It's gonna have a two megapixel for the selfie camera and a five megapixel for the, the back camera. So, like, it's not gonna have, like, it's not a flagship, right? Uh, it's gonna have all, all, all the stuff that's necessary for, you know, the best benefits of, of, of a smartphone, like an accelerometer, uh, a, a gyro, uh, a proximity sensor, a compass, a barometer sensor, all kinds of stuff. But it's not gonna have the, like, highest quality, high end flagship style stuff like the camera. And you'll notice that a 5 megapixel camera is not a huge camera uh, these days, but it's also a very, very, very cheap phone. It's only a $100, $150 phone. That's right, $150 will get you a 2 gig of RAM, quad core, uh, all, a, a, all winner A64 chip phone with a 720 display and USB Type C. It's ridiculous. Like, and it's also going to be uh, using a Linux operating system on it. Uh, Right now, it doesn't. I mean, the Braveheart's not going to have one, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the next one, which one, which operating system they decide to choose. But I can't wait. And it's going to have one of those rare things now nowadays in phones, a headphone jack, which is fantastic. So I'm looking forward to trying it out. I can't wait. But also in their blog post, they announced something else. Now they actually did already um make an update to this so i'll just let you know but the pine tab in their blog post they asked that they wanted to find out feedback from uh, consumers to see if they were interested just to get a pre like a early adopter batch for the pine tab now this is probably going to have no operating system as well uh because the same way that the braveheart is doing it but uh, it's more of a situation of, of getting something out before the Chinese New Year because basically, if you're not aware, uh, Chinese New Year has a thing where a lot of the manufacturing plants are just shut down for a month during that process, during February of whatever, every year. So it is quite possible that if they were to wait uh, until, you know, a couple, you know, at the end, like maybe into December, early January, they wouldn't be able to get anything started until March. So that's why they wanted to see if there's any interest in the early adopters batch. Now they have said in an update that it looks like there's a lot of interest in early adopter production for the PineTab. So they have decided that they will uh, make it happen, but they still uh, need a suitable OS to, uh, you know, emerge from the, to be a, a PineTab or be a tablet style operating system, because there's not really one right now. There are mobile, phone OSs that can maybe be repurposed into a tablet but there's nothing like specifically for tablets at the moment and they say that that we hope the news of the production that is now being underway will help make this happen and give some incentive to the projects that to you know the mobile operating system projects to make a tablet version hopefully they are still taking uh, comments from people and if you would like to let them know that you do want the Pine tab and would be interested in the early adopter you can go to their blog post which I'll have linked in the show notes and it will have a at the bottom you can leave a comment letting them know that you want it they've already got enough to justify creating it they say but they would definitely be I mean, if you want to let them know there's even more people uh, that are interested in it be sure to let them know in the comments on their blog post to you know give them a a better feel to say how many people are interested in getting an early adopter pine tab i'm and for for example i'm one of them and i haven't been able to make a comment yet but i will do that right after this show. So, yeah. If you're ch- one interested in checking out, I've linked in the show notes to this blog post, which has the information about the PinePhone, PineBook Pro, and the PineTab, as well as the PineTime, which is a smartwatch that Pine's making. So, I'm super excited. And, uh, yeah. Let's get to the next topic. Up next in the show is AMD has announced the latest Threadripper and Ryzen CPUs. So, AMD decided that they weren't quite done yet and because they, they didn't have enough you know, excitement this year already. So they decided to make even more hardware and unveil their next thread rippers. So this is a ridiculous thing. And like, just for context, I have upgraded to the 2700X. They're currently on the, thir- this is the announcement for the 3970X as well as the 3950X. But the uh, 3970X is a ridiculous piece of hardware. So I upgraded to a eight core 16 thread uh, CPU for my previous 4 core 4 thread CPU so I went from that up to 16 threads and now this one is just anyway it has 32 cores with 64 threads on a 7 nanometer chip which is the 3970X it is just like super ridiculous it is awesome now it's gonna be expensive but still uh, which makes sense because they're higher end. Like this is like a ridiculously high end enthusiastic uh, CPU for or enthusiast CPU, like a you know super early adopter type. You know it's really interesting that they even can get to this point because it's like a that's like a, such a powerful thing that they have seven nanometers. Seven <laughs> the way I said that they have seven nanometers and they have uh, sixty four threads on those seven nanometer chip. And Intel hasn't even released their ten nanometer chip yet, so. It's just crazy how much AMD has been able to do recently. Uh, but we're not going to go into a f- super in-depth on this particular topic because I'm not really a hardware guy. Uh, as you might have noticed in previous episodes, I don't really talk dr- super deep about hardware, but I really like hardware, I'm just not that Uh, knowledgeable about that. So instead, I will let you know how in the latest episode of Destination Linux, which is episode 147, we go in much more depth into this particular uh, news because uh, Ryan is very much a hardware guy, so he covers this very in-depth. So if you're interested in learning more about this particular uh, announcement for the new Ryzen 9 and Threadrippers, be sure to check out that episode, which is episode 147, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's going to come out probably a little while after this episode comes out, but no more than like a day or so. So be sure to check it out. It's definitely going to be worth it. Up next in the show this week, OpenSUSE has announced their results for the vote on whether they're going to change the name of the project or not, and that is to not change it. So if you're not aware, previous episodes of this, This Week in Linux we talked about uh the potential that they were considering changing the name of the project and they were doing that for a variety of reasons uh one they have less uh you know requirements from susa because of the trademark control that they have to have uh, legally binding they have to uh, susa has to enforce trademark rules and stuff uh, and then also there's uh things about that like, they could do a foundation separate from the susa company and that kind of thing so that's why they were considering it but they have voted and the process for voting has ended with a result of 225 people against the vote, the name change, and 42 people for it. Now, this is interesting because they got 42 people for it, and i you know, 42 is the ultimate answer to the ultimate question. So that should basically just make sure that it totally gets changed, then, right? I, I know that. Okay, that was a lame joke, but uh, I'm gonna leave it in. <laughs> Up next in the show, Ubuntu has announced something pretty interesting and that they will have official support for the Raspberry Pi 4. So we've actually seen other flavors like Ubuntu Mate that have been working hard on having support for Raspberry Pi and other ARM-based devices like uh, GDP Pocket. ...and some other stuff, and this is really interesting because now Canonical has announced that they are officially going to support the Raspberry Pi 4. Now, I'm not sure if it's going to be a support for just Ubuntu proper, or is it going to be like an official support for like all of the flavors or anything? We don't know exactly how that's going to work, but uh, the potential of making it easier to support it is really interesting for all the flavors, but they're going to have it support on Ubuntu itself for the Ubuntu core and Ubuntu server on a, for having existing and upcoming boards that are going to have support for that. So this is really interesting because um, Raspberry Pi is a, you know, it's essentially, it's a, plat, a, a really easily accessible platform, as well as, uh, you know, a, a platform used for innovations because it's so cheap, you can do all kinds of different things and test with it. And you can also reuse it in so many ways. So it's, very powerful the fact that they came out and they've been around for so long they've actually provided a lot of different testing and t- t- new proving grounds for uh, small hardware and having ubuntu on that hardware has a lot of potential as well and it's also worth noting that the current uh, 19.10 has a bug on the raspberry pi 4 that blocks usb ports but they are working on that uh, working but making a workaround for that so um, you know even if you if you do decide to try it right now you might have some issues but that will uh, be you know addressed in the future so this should lead to more positive things for the Pi and potentially for getting more apps for uh, using an, a, an arm-based architecture because arm is a pretty powerful uh, architecture these days and uh, unfortunately there's some applications that aren't available on arm uh, quite a few actually but not a, not not as many as you would think you know it's not like there's a situation where you have 64-bit and 32-bit previous version when you know when 64-bit came out there was like not that many things that were 64-bit and it was like 32-bit stayed around for a very long time and it's still technically around now Uh, but ARM isn't really a replacement for x86 it's more of like a low-powered lightweight type of architecture but at the same time it has this weird issue where each ARM processor ARM device is specifically requiring building for that version so every new version of ARM has to have new applications built for it so you know It's a weird situation, but um, there has been a lot of work done on ARM-based applications uh, in the past, and maybe having Ubuntu supporting ARM going forward would make that even more likely people to make application builds for ARM. So anyway, I think this is pretty cool. Let me know what you think in the comments below or on the Destination Linux forum by going to DestinationLinux.network and clicking on the forum link to join. Up next in the show is a really interesting thing from the Elementary OS team, and they have added Flatpak support. Now, there's some kind of nuance here, but uh, you can install Flatpaks directly from the distribution's uh, store, the App Center, uh, to handle situations where a single app is available for multiple sources, like Flatpak repo, the App Center, etc. Apps listing now have will have a drop-down source menu, so you can choose which one you want, uh, depending if you want Flatpak or if you want like from the App Center itself or from the repo. So this is pretty interesting. Now there are doing some things that are kind of odd, but at the same time, I also sort of get it to a point, Uh, but but we'll get to that in a second. So updates to Flatpaks uh, will be installed through the app center as well. And they'll be listed and distributed alongside the regular system and updates, app app updates in the app center. Uh, Flatpak support in elementary OS is now available by default, but support for FlatHub is not. So, this is kind of weird because uh, FlatHub is sort of official and sort of not official. It's hard to say because they're not very specific about what is supported. So, Flatpak will promote the FlatHub, but in the FlatHub will promote Flatpaks, but they don't say it's an officially supported repo by the Flatpak team. So, in some ways, it's considered third party, in some ways, it's not. So, it's weird because a centralized repo for these universal apps is fundamentally important that's why the flatpack is existing but because it's not like super specific it seems that's why the elementary team decided not to include it by default so you have support for flatpacks but you can't install anything from the app center without having a repo for flatpacks there so their solution to this was to install a flat pack that you download from like a flat pack uh, it's a dot flat ref file like reference file and this will take um, the file from FlatHub you download the file from FlatHub and then you use their application they call, they created called Sideload it's a flat pack handler app and it like they say if they, their way of describing it is that uh, Sideload facilitates a safe way to help users get sandboxed apps making it possible to, uh, to install the uh, file from via sideload, which will then apply, for example, if you get the Flatpak ref file from FlatHub, it will not only install the Flatpak, it will also install the FlatHub repo so that you can then use the App Center to install Flatpaks. So I don't really know why they didn't just include FlatHub by default, but I guess maybe because it's not fully clear whether or not it's official or not, but I don't know. But hopefully, the Flatpak team and the FlatHub team come out and say that it's an official repo, and Elementary OS, or OS decides to include it by default because that would be good. Uh, and I think anybody who has support for Flatpaks should totally have the FlatHub by default because it, without having support for Flatpaks, you need a repository in order to use a Flatpak. Well, not really, but to get updates for sure. So you have the FlatHub, which is the most commonly used Flatpak repo. So uh, one of the things that it's Kind of problematic though, is that when you install something with the sideload app, it will say, it will give you like a warning that says something about, are you sure you want to install this untrusted app? And this is an issue because it's saying that something's untrusted is kind of conveying a message that people shouldn't use it. Now saying it's untested or unreviewed or uncurated or something like that, I could see why that would be a reasonable thing to say. But saying untrusted is kind of problematic. And I know that's little splitting hairs type of situation, but it is kind of problematic because it conveys a message that maybe they shouldn't do it because it's, you know, it's kind of like a scary message, you know, are you sure you want to do this? You know, that kind of thing. They also have some stuff where you can install be, uh, some non curated apps and they in that one they say, um, are you sure you want to install a non curated app? And that makes more sense. I'm okay with that one, and I would prefer them to not say untrusted and just say uncurated there too, so I don't know. They have this when you try to install one of these apps, but they do f- know that this would be could get annoying, so they have made it where you can uh, check uncheck a box to not be notified of that again. So, anyway, if you're interested in checking out Elementary OS, uh, this new, new Flatpak support, or learning more anyway, I'll have a link to their October 2019 uh, update blog post in the show notes below next in the show is the latest release of 2019.10 for KOS. And uh, you might, if you're looking at the video version, you might look at it and go, isn't that chaos? It's actually KOS. That's how they pronounce it. However, I would prefer it to be chaos. I think that'd be fun. But anyway, uh, KOS has the update, latest updates for the Linux kernel of being 5.3.8, has Mesa 19.2.2, KDE Plasma 5.17.2, and Qt. Now, if you're not aware, KOS is a very KDE-specific distribution. They're very focused on KDE. They have a lot of uh, curation for it and have high integration for their system. And if you want to check out a very KDE-specific distribution, then definitely check out uh, KOS. Uh, Though it it does have some limitations in the fact that it doesn't support 32-bit packages at all. including Uh, libraries or anything like that and also i don't know how much support they have for GTK. i don't think that there's much support for GTK. i know that they don't focus on it but i'm not sure if there's any support at all or if they have like a limited thing or you know that kind of thing but kos is a very interesting distribution especially if you are interested in checking out like what a kde centric uh, distribution would be like or kde heavily focused kde distribution would be like they've also updated their lib archive to receive zstd support for upcoming pacman changes and for those familiar with arch uh, pacman is a uh, arch based tool it's not actually based on arch they just have different pieces from different distributions that they put in together to make their distribution so while there is some similarities to arch it's not based on arch so there you go but probably the biggest news for this release is that the first time this is the first time the default install Will not include anything with Python 2, and they have in, intentions for uh, future releases to not have Python 2 in their repos whatsoever. So that's pretty cool. Uh, if you're not aware, Python 3 has been like the main uh, programming language for Python for years now. But Python 2, the, the issue was that Python 2.17, was it 2.7? 2.17? I can't remember anymore. Anyway, I think it was, I don't know, uh, Python 2. point whatever had a long period where there was tons of libraries and tons of things built for it. And it was just, it just had so much development, but those were not compatible with the Python 3 series. So people kept staying with Python 2 for a very long time, even though Python 3 was a better overall language and version. But now it's sort of getting to that point where there's a lot of a lot of distributions and a lot of projects getting rid of Python 2, 2 finally. But it's been quite a few years. And uh, yeah, so hopefully that will continue But anyway, that's not really relevant that much to KOS. Uh, But if you're interested in checking out uh, KOS as a distribution for heavily focused KDE implementation, uh, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the housekeeping section. And this is a section that is basically to let you know about things that are happening with the Tux Digital uh, channel, the This Week in Linux podcast, as well as the Destination Linux network uh, community and overall just podcasts and shows and everything. And so, first of all, speaking of Destination Linux, uh, Destination Linux uh, has a few, quite a few episodes recently. You need to check out; I think are definitely worth checking out. We have episode 144, we had Wendell from Level One text uh, as a guest host. We also had uh, 145, which had an interview with Lucas from Pine Sixty Four, and we had a on 146. We had a couple guest hosts with Dolph, Dolphin Air Oracle from MX Linux and Bo Weaver, who is a pen tester slash ethical hacker. And in 147, we actually have a lot of great content related to uh, topics we discussed in this particular episode, like the AMD hardware that was announced. So be sure to check out all of those. 144 through 147, all are definitely worth checking out. And also be sure to check out the rest of the Destination Linux Network, where you can go to destinationlinux.network to find all the different shows and the different content and YouTube channels that you can have. Uh, hours and hours of content uh, including one from uh, Ryan who's also part of Destination Linux he, aka Dos Geek he did a really cool video where he did an unboxing of the Pinebook Pro and it's not just like an unboxing and demonstration he also takes apart the thing and you can see the inner the hardware uh, after he t- I mean he takes it apart like halfway through so be sure to check that out i think it's really cool uh, i also helped facilitate some of that video so you might hear my voice here and there um, uh, make random jokes really uh, but also check out the rest of the content on uh, the DestinationLinux.network as well as join the Mumble server that you can go to DestinationLinux.network slash Mumble to find out how to join the server. And you can be sure to join the forum as well because the DestinationLinux.network forum is awesome and has hundreds, and pe- hundreds of people having great conversations. There's like thousands of, of po- posts on the, th- on the forum already. It's fantastic. There's a lot of different topics related to like what distro you use and uh, you know whether you trust Microsoft here and there because we talked about it in previous episodes that kind of thing so be sure to join that because it's definitely worth it and also if you are uh, not aware that we have an audio feed for this podcast you can subscribe to an RSS feed or you can use, search in your favorite podcast app and like your mobile app or whatever and it should be able to find the show there if you can't find the show please let me know because I would like to fix that but you probably will because I'm pretty sure I covered everything but if I didn't, please let me know. So uh, also, there's a segment index that is a part of that audio feed as well as the regular you know, YouTube video. If, you can look in the description and have have timestamps for it and you can just click to different topics to whatever you want to whatever you to watch in whatever order you want to watch. But be sure to watch all of it because it is a good show. I might be a little biased on that, but I think it's a pretty good show. <laughs> so anyway, if you'd like to uh, check out some other stuff, we just recently launched some new merch. Uh, we got the Des- This Week in Linux t shirt as well as the Tux Digital t shirt, which we're going to be working on some more products. So, if you want to like a Tux Digital or a This Week in Linux mug, we're going to be making that as well soon. So, if you want to find out more about that and check out the, all the different stuff, that you can go to destinationlinux.network/slash store to see all the different items that we have, including the DLN launch shirt and hoodies, which are really cool because it's kind of like a concert-style, a concert tour-style t-shirt. Where it has the Destination Linux logo in the front, and in the back has uh, all the different logos for all the different content related to DLN. Really cool uh, shirt. I really like it, and it's also going to be only available for a limited time because it's a launch shirt. So as soon as we are out of the launch, uh, we're going to be uh, discontinuing that. You know, for you know, well, basically, I guess forever. You never know, but that's the intent. So anyway, if you'd like to check that out, go to slash store and you can find it there. So yeah, let's get to the rest of the show. Up next on the show is a really interesting thing, and that is Linus Torvalds, in a recent uh, interview slash conversation slash keynote thing at a conference, said that he's no longer a programmer. He says, I don't know coding at all anymore. Most of the time I write is in my emails. So if somebody sends me a patch, I reply with pseudocode. I'm so used to editing patches now, I sometimes edit patches and send out the patch without having ever tested it. I literally wrote it in the mail and say uh, I think this is how it should be done and but this but this is what I do I'm not a programmer so this is pretty interesting thing for him to say and the interviewer also thought the same so he says so what is your job and Linus responded that I read and write a lot of email my job really is in the end is to say no somebody has to say no to this patch or that pull request or whatever and because developers know that if they do something that I'll say no to they do a better job of writing the code and in some ways in during the interview he also said something like he felt he sometimes felt like he has uh, you know he's had imposter syndrome before and this is pretty interesting because you know with with the exception of the desktop Linux runs pretty much everything in the world now but Linus says what makes him happy is is that uh, Git is not that it's taking over the world or has taken over the world it's that we all have self-doubt and we all think are we actually any good and one of the self-doubts I had with Linux was it was just a re-implementation of UNIX so can I have can I give the give you something that isn't just a better version of something else and get proved to me that I can having two projects that made a big splash means that I'm not just a one-trick pony so for someone to have created a project like Linux, like creating such a vastly important project to have imposter syndrome is pretty interesting. And it is, you know, I understand why you'd have that because you're like, am I just this one person who just made this one thing and got lucky that I made something important like that? Or could I do it again? And then he did with Git because Git has pretty much become the dominant uh, software versioning system uh, pretty much everywhere there's even companies devoted to it specifically because of the of this project like github github was purchased by microsoft and for a lot of money uh, and it was created because git existed same thing with gitlab well not the purchase by microsoft part but gitlab exists because git exists which linus torvalds created he doesn't work on it anymore but the whole project the git project was started by linus so while Linus may not consider himself a programmer anymore, he has given the world two of the largest projects ever, so I'd say even though he isn't programming these days, he is certainly in the Programmer Hall of Fame. That doesn't exist, actually. I don't think the Programmer Hall of Fame exists. But it should, and he should probably be the first first inductee. So if you'd like to read the article at ZDNet, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Chrome OS 78 has been released. Now, I'm not really a fan of Google or Chrome, Or Chrome OS. But they are doing something that's pretty interesting I want to talk about. So first of all, they've improved their Linux support, which is the support for Linux apps on Chrome OS, which is pretty interesting in itself. But they've also announced that they're going to have support for virtual desktops. Or they they do have support for their virtual desktops now. In their quote, they say that uh, you can create now up to four separate workspaces, virtual desks. They call it virtual desks instead of virtual desktops because Google has to be different or whatever. And they said they are focusing on a single. These virtual desks are for focusing on a single project or for quickly switching between multiple sets of windows. Create your first desk by opening the overview and tapping New Desk button. So this is interesting, not because they're doing anything innovative. This is not innovative at all. They've, uh, it's you know, virtual desktops have been around for I don't know decades now. I'm pretty sure Linux was the first one to have, or the first operating system to have, virtual desktops. Where exactly they came from, I'm not sure, but they've been around for a very long time. Though most, a lot of them call them workspaces, uh, like the GTK side of the Linux desktop calls it workspaces, and the cute side of the Linux desktop calls it virtual desktops. Um, why I, there's a difference between the two, I I don't know, but virtual desktops is also what Microsoft Windows calls it, as well as the Mac OS calls it virtual desktops too. So, whatever so uh this is interesting because they added this feature and also they did it pretty well so they did a kind of a uh an interesting approach of doing it where they did something where it's like an overview style so instead of just having a uh, virtual desktop workspace thing they have a top row I'll in the link in the show notes you'll see an actual animation of it uh, but in the top there'll be a uh, as a as a row of all the workspaces and you can click and make new workspaces well up to 4 anyway and then it has an like a a nice display of the windows inside of the workspace that you're currently looking at so if you switch to a workspace it will have that those windows in that layout well as well similar to how the gnome overview works except having instead of having the workspaces on the side it has it on the top and what's interesting about this is that i found a uh, pro, a project on GitHub that is similar to that for KDE Plasma, which has very similar to how the, the Chrome OS is doing it with the uh, workspaces on the top and then the overview of the windows underneath that. Uh, but anyway, that's not necessarily relevant exactly to this this topic, so we'll move on to the next pieces. And they say that uh, Chrome OS 78 promises support for saving and restoring backups of your Linux files and apps locally, on on external storage or in the cloud to the Google Drive account, if you want to do that. Uh, GPU support enabled by default is now available for a crisp, lower latency experience. So, if you have Chrome OS or a Chromebook and you want to update, this might be worth checking out because the virtual desktops would be pretty interesting for a Chromium or a Chrome-based system. So, there you go. I'll have a link to it in the show notes below for Chrome OS 78 next in the show, Microsoft has announced that they have confirmed the Edge browser is coming to Linux. So good news for everyone who's been waiting on the Edge browser or whatever. Okay. Uh, so luckily, though, for Linux users, we already pretty much always come have a Firefox or Chromium out, out of the box on whatever distribution you're using. So you don't need to have Edge for the typical reason that people have Edge, which is to download and install Firefox. So, yeah. But if you want Edge for some reason, that's going to be coming to Linux, which is great. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad in some cases because uh, web developers who prefer to use Linux will now be able to have pretty much every browser that they want to use uh, with the, uh, you know, Edge browser coming to Linux and also being possible to use virtual machines for Safari uh, and that kind of thing. So it is pretty interesting in that sense. But other than that, I guess, if somebody wants Edge, I don't know. Firefox is definitely the best browser by far, and I have seven reasons that it's my favorite browser in a video form that you can check out with a link in the uh, the video description and the show notes. So be sure to check that out if you're interested in why Firefox is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, there could be some issues, and if, I mean, some reasons to want to use Edge, and if you have some of those, please let me know in the comments below next in the show is the first gaming topic that we're going to talk about this week. And that is Steam for Linux container support. So this is pretty interesting. Uh, Valve has basically introduced something this week for their latest Steam Linux, uh, Linux client, but it's in the beta version. And this is support for Linux namespaces and containers. So this is like an experimental functionality. But may but maybe the for the purpose of this we don't know for sure because they haven't really specified but it could be to provide better support for 32-bit compatibility as more Linux distributions are focusing on solely x86 64 packages reducing some of the fragmentation library conflicts will have between some Linux distributions and Steam and also might you know alleviate other headaches currently plaguing the Linux space uh, Steam space uh, for Linux so this is pretty interesting. Uh, it's an experimental feature that you can opt in currently uh, from the latest client beta and works with native Linux games. Not, It doesn't work with Proton right now, uh, but maybe in the future they might, I don't know. But besides allowing better support for newer x86-64 focused Linux distributions, better compatibility across distributions, and other distribution benefits, there is also the security aspect in better isolating uh, running Linux games from the host system. So this is quite cool. It's an interesting concept and in the long run it would be possible to improve linux gaming as an overhaul overall as an ecosystem as well and at the moment there are some known early bugs with it because it is experimental so naturally there's going to be some issues um, with this containerization approach uh, but it's really cool that they're doing it and the flat pack version of the steam will not currently work with the containers and some can driver configurations may, may have issues but overall it is a very very interesting situation because the, the fact that people when they first announced with ubuntu was dropping 32-bit steam was like well we can't recommend ubuntu anymore and people were like um you know attacking steam saying that you should do something with snaps or flat packs or whatever and you should do fill the fill, uh, fill the void of the containerization rather than depending on the 32-bit packages that existed um which i don't think is reasonable because i don't think they should say because by the by the way if they had done this if ubuntu had done this the support for steam would have dropped already and steam wouldn't have worked right now at all for the latest versions of ubuntu so it's good they did not do that because that would be kind of ridiculous uh so it's really good that they they reverted that decision Uh, but it's also interesting to see that while uh, people were saying that steam should work on containerization Steam also thought they should work on some kind of system for containerization, so that is pretty cool, and I look forward to seeing what happens with this particular thing because uh, making it possible not to have thirty, not to have to have thirty-two bit, would be very valuable at least for Steam. However, this probably wouldn't affect Wine and that kind of thing, so who knows? Uh, maybe in the future, those could have containerization solutions somehow or whatever. Maybe they could benefit, could benefit from this or something like that. I don't know. But either way, this is pretty interesting to see what happens. And uh, yeah, I'll have a link to their uh, post on their forum, as well as the Gaming on Linux article related to this in the show notes below. Next in the show, Google has revealed the launch games for Google Stadia. And these are 12 games. Yes, only 12 games. And these games are Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Destiny 2, GYLT, whatever that is. Just Dance 2020, oh yeah, Kine. Mortal Kombat 11, Red Dead Redemption 2, Thumper, and two Tomb Raiders with Rise of the Tomb Raider and Shadow of the Tomb Raider, and lastly, Samurai Showdown. Shamurai? Did I say Shamurai? Anyway. Samurai Showdown. Uh, only title you get included in the Google Stadia Pro subscription would be the Destiny 2 game and all others that you have to pay for. Probably the full $60 price. And if you stop paying for Stadia Pro, you will lose access to any of the free games, in this case, Destiny 2, as well as, you know, the other games in the future that you get for free if you just sign up for them. You will only be able to keep the games that you've paid for normally. So if you have Google Stadia and you pay for a game, you could use those games for that service for free, but you have to pay for those games individually. However, if Google ever decides to kill that game service, you would no longer own those games. Because that's how they said you'd get the, you'd be able to download your st- your your game data and metadata and stuff like that, but not the actual game. So I don't know. So Google has said more games will be coming before twenty nineteen, and that's like Borderlands three, Darksiders Genesis, Dragon Ball Xenoverse two, and more along the. Uh, so although the dates of them are not really specific, they say that they're you know they're all subject to change, but they say some of them some of these will come be coming before twenty nineteen. So whatever i'm not really that interested now uh because there's not that many games and uh eh. i do want to play i do want to play mortal kombat and red dead redemption 2 but not enough to get it not enough to pay the full price to uh, google stadia to do that so anyway let's move on to the next topic which is much much more interesting and somewhat related actually very related The next and final topic of this week's episode is very interesting, and that is there's a possibility of the Steam Cloud gaming platform from Valve coming. Now, we don't know for sure, but it is quite possible based on the SteamDB reports that we saw on Twitter recently. And, uh, you know, there's no shortage of other things. You know, there's Google Stadia, there's Xbox GameStream, there's PlayStation Now, and having a new one from Valve would you know be just another service by some people's standards, but I think would be the most potential service possible, like the highest value possible. That I, I hope they do this, and I hope they're doing it the way I think they're doing it, but they haven't really given much information because this is really just from people looking into the SteamDB uh, things that they're talking about because we think that the reason why it is because there's actually a, a partner site code update which required an addendum to the terms and conditions, referring to Steam Cloud Gaming that was put that was uh, t- tweeted about uh, from SteamDB. We don't expect uh, Valve to just sit by and you know oddly watch the competition grow without them in the ga- the you know cloud gaming situation. But I think this has ton of potential. I think this is more potential than Google Stadia or any of the other platforms because Valve has been. Uh, you know they they actually do care about linux you know we all make a joke about microsoft hearts linux but valve actually does because valve has proven that over seven years various different ways in bringing steam to linux uh helping games work on linux creating the proton of uh, compatibility layer to make games that are not meant to be run on linux to be able to run on linux and so many things that they have done valve has been a huge impact on the Linux world in the past few years, the past seven years or so. So I totally believe that they actually do hard Linux. And I think if they were to create a a cloud-based solution, they would also make it possible for you to play these games on uh, Linux games, like Linux games themselves. So like, let's say, for example, if you were to, um, well, here's the way I thought about it. I think that if Valve were to do what I hope they do, this would be a massive shift in destroying Google Stadia and all these other things so one of the best arguments for Google Stadia and all these things is that you could use underpowered hardware to play these games because there's a lot of people who have certain laptops or they want to use a mobile device or whatever but they want to play these games but they don't have the way to facilitate playing those games in a reasonable price you know they don't want, they can't upgrade their machine to a big beefy uh, you know massive, Super huge Threadripper or uh, new Ryzen CPUs and stuff, or the big like you know the the Radeon GPUs and stuff like that. They couldn't they couldn't afford those things, and which is understandable. So there's the value in the cloud gaming there. However, what I hope Valve does, if they do this, you know, this is still speculation, but hopefully they do, is that they create this streaming service that allows people to do that with lower end hardware, but then they can upgrade their hardware to when they finally can get their like the big beefy machines that can actually play these games directly they would allow you to purchase the game in full like you normally would on Valve or Steam and or in the Steam service and then download that game to your computer and play it directly now that would be huge because the biggest issue with Google Stadia is that you don't really even own those games they're on their services and you can't download those games you're paying the full price but you still don't technically own those games Whereas in Steam, when you buy a game, you can download it and play it, whether you're online or not, depending on the structure of the game. So there's a lot of potential there that if they were to create a, a streaming cloud service allowing you to play the game on their servers, and then if you can, when you have the ability to upgrade your hardware to be able to download those games and play them directly, that would be amazing. So I hope that's what they do, and because they're so you know, devoted to Linux, I think there's a possibility that they might even have like exclusive game titles or whatever that, you know, they will, I don't think they will have exclusives because steam's not like that. But if they were to have exclusives, I think that if they were to do that, they would actually make it possible for steam for Linux users to be a part of that exclusive because valve has shown many, many times that they do care. And uh, yeah, I hope they make this and I hope they compete against uh, Google Um, so I'm excited about this and it's just a rumor right now, really. So thanks for watching this episode of this week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe and also be sure to click that. Well, actually ring the bell, whatever. You know what I mean. Click the bell so you get notifications on when I make a new video or a new episode of this podcast. And if you'd like to support the TuxDigital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com linuxeverywhere Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash EU for shipping inside of Europe. And we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co host of that show. And also be sure to go to destinationlinux.network to find out all the other shows that are part of the network as well, including the destinationlinux.network slash store where you can find more content and more merchandise and more stuff related to Destination Linux Network and the, pro- and the uh, podcasts and shows and YouTube channels that are connected to it, including this one. Like the, there is a This Week in Linux shirt in the Destination Linux store that is not in uh, not available on on tux digital it's actually unavailable in the destination linux network store so destinationlinux.network slash store if you'd like to check that one out thanks again for watching i'm michael tonnell with tux digital and as always keep using learning and enjoying linux